Sunday. Um, if you've never met me before, my name's Joe. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm the only pastor that looks like this, so if you don't like me, you got to come back at least one more week, I guess. So, um, There's a few things I want to let you know about. First of all, this morning, I got an update from Pastor Todd, and he wanted me to share this with you. Um, pastor Todd, if you're here for the first time, you haven't met him, he's our campus pastor, and um, over the past year or so, he's been going through a really difficult time in their family with some illness with their son, and he said, uh, give everyone our love. If they ask you, you can tell them we made it through the first week of treatments for Carter. It's not been easy, but we are making it. We go back this week, Monday through Thursday. So that's an update on, on Todd and, and his sweet son, Carter. Um, and this morning, before we get into the message, I want to give you a few things that are coming up, some important some important details, some important events. And so what I want you to do this morning is you were handed one of these. You should have been handed one of these on your way in this morning. This is the worship program. Um, and uh, I don't know who makes these, who designs them, but they are amazing. It's me. Okay. So <laughs> sorry, I just like it. All right. So if you want to do me a favor and open this up, um, maybe you like this because you're like, hey, this is great. I keep this in my car as an emergency napkin, but it's good for more than that too. All right. You give your, you know, your kid has something to draw on during the service or in a car ride. Um, so inside of it this week are some really important announcements. One is we announced um, the Beulah Beach Day Camp, and that is in here, but good news, bad news. Good news is we were going to take 100 students. Uh, bad news is we have 116, so those are completely full, but that is incredible that so many of our kids are going to be going to camp this morning, or this morning, this summer, maybe this morning, they're not. Okay, this summer, it's my first day, I'm sorry. Uh, they're going this summer. Um, but there are still a few spots available for the high school and middle school camps as well, too. And the way that you can access those is right on our chapel website or on the app as well, too. So if you um, are a high schooler or a middle schooler, you know a high schooler or middle schooler, and you want them to go to camp this summer, uh, one of the things is that the chapel has been able to put money forward um, to help offset those costs. So very cool that we get to do that. And then up here also is a family game night coming up in a few months, but just to uh, save the date for you as well, too, that is for kids. And on the back, um, there's some opportunities on here that you can use. If you're a guest for the first time, we would love to know that you're here just so we can let you know a little bit about who we are, about the chapel, about our values and our beliefs. And you can do that by filling out this Connect card and then dropping it in one of the giving boxes on your way out. And uh, we're not going to bother you or come to your house or anything like that. We'll just send you an email, let you know a little bit about us. Um, and then we, over at the Welcome Center, we have, a gift or we have a gift bag for you that we would love to give to you as well. So make sure you stop over there. If you have any prayer requests, you can use this uh, as well. You can write those on here. Again, drop it in the giving box. Or if you just need more information, whatever you need, you can write on it here. Put that in the giving box on your way out this morning, and we'll make sure that that gets taken care of. And again, with giving, um, inside you'll find an envelope. And here at the chapel, you may know we don't pass around a collection plate, but the reality is, is that um, God uses your resources and your faithful generosity for us to be able to do ministry here. And if you'd like to be a part of that, this is one way to do it, and also online as well, too. Couple other things coming up. Oh, one, there's a there's a Valentine's Day luncheon available um, for for widows, and uh, and that is going to be at the the loft at the Gideon Gideon Owen Wine Company. I checked this morning; there are 19 spots available, um, so out of 80. So if you are interested in that, uh, I would make sure to sign up for that as soon as possible. And you can do that by emailing the welcome at the chapel family. You could stop by the Welcome Center; they have a sign up over there, as well as more information. Or you can call the chapel office. And then lastly, this Friday is Night to Shine, and we are so excited 
to be a part of this, looking forward to it. And if you are not signed up for Night to Shine and you would like to be a part of that, there's two ways that you can still do that. The first one is out in the atrium today, we have a, um, a card station where you can write an encouragement note to our honored guests. Those are right out there. You can just write on an encouragement note, just leave it right on the table, and we'll make sure that our honored guests get those from you. We also need a red carpet team. So if you would like to, you can arrive at our Sandusky campus this Friday at 4.30 p.m. You don't have to register. Feel free to dress up if you don't, if you don't have any dress clothes or you're coming from work. That's fine, too. But you get to be the red carpet paparazzi cheering on our honored guests as they come in. And that is such a cool opportunity to be a part of Night to Shine, even if you're not registered to be a buddy or, or serving inside the church that night. We would love to have you there as well, too. So, um, yes, again, uh, my name is Pastor Joe, and I, I'm so happy to be here this morning. I am injured, so I'm going to try to stand during the whole message. But if I have to sit down, that's, that's why. So just, just bear with me. But we are in this series in the book of Galatians, and we are talking all about freedom. That's really what Galatians is about. Now, I want to ask you a question. Raise your hand, and be honest, raise your hand if you like rules. <clears throat> I like rules, all right? They make sense of stuff. Uh, you know, my kids think I like rules, which isn't true, um, but I don't know what kind of rules you had when you were a kid. When I was a kid, one of the rules we had at our house was I was not allowed to watch MTV. Now, MTV at one point in time, you know, centuries ago, played music, uh, the music videos on TV, all right? And my mom was so passionate about me not watching MTV, she called the cable company and had them remove that channel. So all I got to watch was VH1. I don't know if you remember VH1, but it was like the lame version of MTV, right? And my mom thought, if, as long as I don't let him watch MTV, he's going to turn out all right. Well, it didn't work, because I was a mess anyway. But, you know, she didn't do it just because, like, she hated MTV. She just thought it was a bad influence in my life. And rules and commandments serve an important role. And today, what I want to do as we actually talk through Galatians, I want to take you all the way back to Exodus 20 in the Old Testament, which is where the Ten Commandments are. Now, have you ever read through the Ten Commandments just to see if you've perfectly kept all of them? Because it's a pretty disappointing experience. And so what we're going to do, though, is we're going to read through the Ten Commandments, and I want you to see how well you do, and we're going to keep score, and whoever in here is the most holy today can buy me lunch, all right? Let's do it. So the first one, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall make no idols. Number three, you shall, not take the you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet. All right. Any perfect scores in here this morning? Anybody? No? I didn't think so. And really, we all, we, we, a lot of us go through life hoping that God is grading on a curve, right? Yeah, because we're all, we're all south of, of 100% in here. And now up to this point in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're going to be in Galatians 3 today, uh, up to this point, he has, he has tried to be clear that it is by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone 
that we are made right with God, not trying to obey the law of Moses. The obeying the law of Moses does not save us, does not make us right with God, which may be a totally foreign concept to some of you in here today. So Paul asks a really good question in Galatians 3, 19. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Galatians 3. Feel free to use the U version of the Dwell app, and we'll have the text on the screen as you, for you as well. Paul asked this question. Well, if the law doesn't save us, then why then is the law given? What's the purpose? That is, why were the Ten Commandments given and the hundreds of other laws in the Jewish scriptures? You see, Paul is really asking this rhetorically. He's not asking it for himself, but, but he's asking for the Galatians because they're probably wrestling through this question. They're like, okay, Paul, you say that, you know, believing your faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation, then what's the point of the law? Because there were some people who were still trying to push the Old Testament law of Moses onto people who had put their faith in Jesus. Paul called them Judaizers. Judaizers believed in Jesus, but they also believed that to be made truly right with God, to be forgiven, to be saved, you also needed to obey the Mosaic law, which was the law of Moses, the Old Testament commandments. And this was really confusing for the Galatian Gentiles, those who were not Jews, who didn't really know the law, who were originally taught, were taught by Paul that Jesus was enough. So Paul's telling them, hey, faith in Christ, that's what it means to be made right with God. The Judaizers are coming along and saying, no, it's faith in Christ plus following all the rules, right? So which one is it, right? Paul was not going to have this. The law of Moses does not make someone right with God. And Paul's going to drive that point home today. So now all of a sudden that they didn't have to follow the law, it begs the question, well, they're like, well, what was the whole point of the law? Well, three things, three reasons that we're going to talk about today. And the first one is this, that the point of the law was to point out our sinfulness. Galatians 3.19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only till the coming of the child who was promised. The point of the law was not so that we could follow it and be made right with God. It wasn't to show how we could perfectly please God, but to show how imperfect we are. The law was given to show us our sins. Now, that word sin... <clears throat> Not a popular word. If you're a high schooler, you probably don't go to lunch and be like, guys, what's up? Let's talk about our sins, right? You probably don't do that. Uh, sin is often misconstrued, right? It's like, okay, here's sin. Don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or run around with girls who do. That's sin, right? That's what we usually define sin as, right? Cussing, drinking, gambling, lying, smoking, cheating, being a Michigan fan, tax evasion, and uh, stealing. You know, all the fun stuff, right? God doesn't want you to have any fun. Are those sins... Well, they're not not sins, but so is workaholism, comparison, refusing to forgive people, turning to food for comfort, consumerism, a sense of smug self-sufficiency, and using people for your own gain. And if you feel like I'm judging you by that list, those are my sins. So at least we're in this together. But there's so much more. Because in here, so here's the definition just to make sure that we're all on the same page. I love this from the Holman Bible Dictionary. It says, attitudes and actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil. 
Or here's an easy way to understand it from the accidental theologian Woody Allen. The heart wants what the heart wants. When we let ourselves be in control, we call the shots. We are in control. We want to be gods of our own lives. We want, to, we want to make the decisions. We want to be the rulers, right? Every single one of us, through our attitudes, actions, and behaviors, has, have told the creator of the universe that he can go kick rocks. We'll, we'll take over from here. Sin is a heart condition that results in sins or sinful actions. You see, what we do, what we consider sins, you know, lying, drinking, smoking, gambling, all that stuff, right? Those are a symptom of a deeper problem. It's sort of like if you had like bronchitis or COPD, like you could treat the cough, but that's not the root of the problem. You know, if you had lung cancer and you just took Robitussin to deal with the cough, you're not getting any better. The, the, the problem is our very nature. This sin, this nature is in our DNA, which is why Paul says that the law proves this. For example, you shall have no other gods before me. This is not to show us that we should try to keep God or that we can keep God first place in our own human strength. It shows us how easy it is to put other people or things before God in our lives. Now, as Christians, we wouldn't say this, right? And maybe we don't even believe this. But if you want to know what your functional, street-level, day-by-day God is, just think about the thing that if you lost it, you don't know if you could go on. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your jobs. Maybe it's your wealth. Whatever it is, if you lost that, that would just ruin you. That could very well be your actual functional God. Or if you want to know what is most important to your life, what you really, really focus on, all you have to do is look at your calendar and your your, your bank statements, right? What we tend to invest our time, our resources in, that is usually what's most important to us. So the law is there to direct us, but more than that, it is there to direct us, but more than that is to show us that we have no ability on our own to keep that commandment. The fifth one, honor your father and mother. Now, if you're a teenager in here, you'd be like, it'd be a lot easier to honor my father and mother if they knew what they were doing, right? It's crazy. When I, was, when I was like 15, I thought my dad was an idiot. But then when I was like 20, I was like, man, I can't believe he learned so much in five years. He really does know something. Of course, it's good to show honor to our parents. And maybe even when it's hard, we try to do this. But all of those know, we all know there are moments when as a child or even as an, an adult with older parents that we got frustrated. And the things that we thought about our parents or the things that we said maybe not to their faces, but to someone else, didn't honor them. And so, yeah, the law is there to guide us, but more it's there to show us that we have an inability to honor our parents. Again, it points to our sinfulness. I hate this one. All right, you shall not covet. You know, we can be grateful and for what we have and recognize that it's from God, but who of us has not seen our neighbor drive home you had a brand new car, brand new truck, brand new SUV, and you know that they're selfish, you know how they run their business, you know they don't go to church, you know all of these things, right? And you think, man, it sure is nice for these heathens to get these brand new cars. The law is there to warn us about the danger of coveting, but the law is really given to show us our selfishness and comparison and coveting. The law points to our sinfulness. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. The law is also there to point us away from danger. 
Galatians 3, 23 uh, through 25 says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. I think Pastor J.D. Greer sums this up perfectly. He says this, the key word there is guardian. Some translations say tutor. Paul is referring to a school teacher or a nanny who oversees a child, training them up in the ways of adulthood and making sure that they don't kill themselves accidentally before they become adults, all right? Now, some parents are more loose with rules. Some are a little bit tighter with rules. Like, you know, I have, you know, my youngest son, Mac, I'm just like, you know, I want him to learn sometimes, you know, maybe get hurt a little bit. Now, my wife, on the other hand, like, wants him to, like, wear a helmet if he goes outside, just, you know, in case something happens. So we never get to really have anything fun. But the whole point is that we give rules. We give, we give our kids or grandkids rules. is not to restrict them, though my kids would probably say otherwise. They think we just like rules. It's for the purpose of protecting them, right? So they can live safe lives because we care for them and love them. And the purpose of the law is the same thing. It acted as a guardrail protecting people from themselves and guiding the way to live according to God's direction for their lives. I mean, think about it. If everyone actually lived by just the Ten Commandments, do you think our world would be better or do you think it would be worse? I mean, no lying, stealing, or cheating. I think things would be better, right? It's for protection, not for perfection. The law can guide us, but it can't change us. Trying to follow the law, the rules, may point us away from danger, but the problem is the real danger is not just out there, but it's in here, it's inside of us. The law can't change our hearts. Speed limits can keep me from speeding, but they don't make me want to not speed. You all know you get on that two-lane road that's 25 miles an hour, and you're like, bruh, come on. This should be 45 at least, right? The law doesn't change my heart. It just tells me, hey, here's, here's the limit before you're going to get in trouble. You see, the law, the point of the law was to point to our sin and to point us away from danger, but ultimately, the greatest thing, it was to point us to the, our need for a Savior. It was to point us to Jesus, Remember what Paul said at the beginning of the chapter. He said, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. A promised child who would come. The savior of the world. The Christ. The Messiah. The ultimate purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus. Look at, look at chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 4 through 7 with me. He says... But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. <clears throat> Jesus came into this world subject to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. And unlike us, he obeyed that law perfectly. He was without sin. And the text says that God sent him to buy freedom for us. 
those who were slaves to the law and to sin. So instead of being enslaved to the law and to sin, that we could be adopted as God's own children from slaves to sons and daughters. And that happened through putting our trust in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. A very popular saying today, and maybe you've heard it, is people will say, we're all God's children, right? We're all God's children. And that sounds really nice, and it sounds really inclusive, and it sounds tolerant and politically correct and all those things, but the unfortunate thing is it's just not true. We are all God's creation. You were, you were born with a plan and a purpose, but it says it says here in Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And in, other words, and in other place, John 1.12, it said, it said, yet to all those who did receive him, to all who believed in him in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Church, not everyone that we cross paths with is a child of God. Some are still under the slavery of sin. And, and if you're like me, I hear that, that I've been adopted as God's child, and I'm a, I'm a son of God, and I think, well, that's nice, you know, and I, I move on. But why is, this, why is that important? Why is it important to know that you are no longer a slave, but you are a child of God? And I want to give you two reasons, though I could probably list <clears throat> hundreds. As a child of God, you know, I know where I belong. Henry Nguyen explains what happens when we feel like we don't belong. He says, I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves, you know, it's one thing when it's a boat. It's a whole other thing when it's our souls. You know, we suffer from the desperation of, of needing praise to feel like we're important, to feel valued, the misery that comes when we don't get it, the insecurity that comes from trying to follow the rules to, to get God's favor and the paranoia that comes when we don't know if it's enough, <clears throat> growing up thinking that you were a mistake, you know, you're not a mistake, you're not an accident, you may have been a surprise, but you're not a mistake. In Ephesians, it says that we are Christ's craftsmanship or handiwork or masterpiece. Do you ever think about yourself as a masterpiece? That we were created in Christ Jesus to do good things that he prepared in advance for us to do. If you are here and you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God and you have a plan and a purpose for your life. That's incredible. Jesus becomes our anchor giving us stability, giving us security, giving us worth, giving us value, giving us a purpose. And the second thing is that as a child of God, I know that I'm free. And maybe you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't feel that you're not free. Maybe you feel like you are free, right? Because you're not tied down by these rules. But Paul uses two words that clearly explain what our sin leads to, imprisonment and enslavement. It confines restrains, restricts us, and controls us. And if you don't believe this, all right, maybe you have some, some stuff in your life, you know, it could be an addiction, could be a lot of things, right? Could be whatever, and you don't think it's a sin, do me a favor, we're gonna try this. Just go ahead and stop. Just stop, just don't do it anymore. And you'll realize pretty quickly, as I have, that you're more of a slave than you think. But Jesus ended this. He uttered these words about himself in Luke 4.18, which were a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Jesus says, Sons and daughters of the King, of God, through what I have done for you, 
I've unlocked the prison door. I've broken the chains. Come and follow me so that you can truly live. Now, the big question is, so what? So what? Why is this important? Because you may be sitting there and you may agree with me or disagree with me. And either way, you might be asking, okay, but why is this important to me? Why is this important? What's next? How does this change me? How does this change my family? How does this change tomorrow? How does this change Thursday? How does this change what I'm going through in my life? Well, I want to talk about a few things. The first one is fear. Because maybe you're afraid. Maybe you wonder that, like, really, you know, God forbid, if you were to die today or this week, that you couldn't say with 100% assurance that you would be in heaven with God. That you don't know. You're just not sure if you've been good enough. I'm here to tell you that you haven't. And that none of us have. But Jesus was perfect, and because of him, we can have assurance. Uh, the very first funeral that I ever did was my dad's. It was in 2017. He was a great guy. He, he, you know, he su suffered a long battle with cancer. And at his funeral, I sh because my dad gave his life to Jesus a few days before he had passed, and I told the story of the thief on the cross, and maybe you know the story in Luke where, where Jesus is being crucified, and on, the side, on each side of him are, are, are two criminals, right? One on the left, one on the right. Now, in some translations say thieves, but the reality is you didn't get crucifixion for, you know, boosting camels, okay? These were probably rotten people. There was probably murder attached to their names. They, you, if you were standing in front of these thieves on the cross, these criminals on the cross, you would have said, if anybody's not going to heaven, it's these two guys, and one of them is hurling insults at Jesus, and the other one realizes who Jesus is, that Jesus was God. And he says to Jesus, he said, he said, this man is innocent. We deserve what we have. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I assure you, you will be with me in paradise today. Here's a thief, a criminal, a murderer nailed to a cross can't do any of the things that earn, think earn us God's favor. Can't go to church, can't go to Bible study, can't get baptized, can't go on a mission trip, can't get money, can't follow any of the Old Testament laws. It's too late. Hands and feet nailed to a cross, can't do anything. He's in Jesus, in heaven with Jesus that day. Not because of who he was, but because of who Jesus was. Assurance, not something we earn from following the law, but as a gift by trusting in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're afraid because you don't know you've been good enough, I'm here to tell you you haven't, but you don't have to. Placing faith in Jesus, accepting what he has done on your behalf changes everything. Here's the next one. When it comes to our hearts, you know, even if you manage to follow the law, the law can't change your heart. Only Jesus can. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. It doesn't say he's a better creation, a better person. No, a new creation. Someone who is then equipped to love and to follow Jesus. And the last one I want to talk about is freedom. Because, you know, maybe you don't feel free. Paul talks a lot about being freed from slavery. And you know that, that like, Jesus has unlocked this prison door of sin and you can leave, and maybe you've left, but you find yourself going back, right? You know the recidivism rate in, in the United States is like 40%, and that means that most criminals within a year of being released from prison end up back in prison. Why? Not because it's better, 
But because, you know what, freedom is hard sometimes because it's not comfortable, because following Jesus can be scary. And so you find yourself going back to that prison of sin, whatever it is, whatever addiction, whatever habit, whatever comfort you find, not because it's better, right, but because it's familiar. What I want you to know is that you don't ever have to go back, ever. If we are in Jesus which we are, like I said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the same power that literally raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. Scripture tells us that when we place our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and that same power is available to us. And that gave, gives us a new heart and a new identity, and it, and, and it lives in you and able to give us freedom, but we have to allow it to happen. If you want to be assured of your salvation, if you want to know that God is pleased with you, and if you want to be free from sin, the answer, then answer this question, do you know him? Do you know him? Not do you know about him, because you can come to church for a long time. You can go to a lot of Bible studies. You can know a lot about Jesus, but not know him. I can know a lot about a celebrity, or I can know a lot about an athlete. I can know where they went to school. I can know every stat. Doesn't mean if I show up to their house, they're going to let me in, right? Because I don't know them. Is there enough room in your life to spend with Jesus and let his power work in your life, to let his grace settle in your heart, to let his peace invade your life? So tomorrow, will you make room for Jesus? Will you get up early? Will you give up a Netflix series? Would you put your device away for an hour? Would you delete some apps you know are just a waste of your life? Would you direct your thoughts and your concerns to Jesus? Would you really join a small group, what we call a circle? Would you commit to reading his word daily and seeking him out? Jesus said in John 15, 5, one of my favorite verses of scripture, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And to abide in Jesus means to seek him daily and to live as though his word were true. I mean, this is God we're talking about. The God who loves you so much, he gave everything to have us, and all he asks for you is to know him, to follow him, to make room in your life. Why? Because he is absolutely worth it. I firmly believe that Jesus is better than anything that I could have in this life or the next. And that's worth celebrating this morning. And so we're gonna do that in a really special way. We're gonna take communion together. And if you don't have the communion elements at this time, if you just want to raise your hand, we'll have somebody actually bring them up to you or you're welcome to go back and get those. And here at the chapel, communion is something that we celebrate as followers of Jesus. And we don't ask that you have gone through a, a, a special ceremony or, or anything like that. This is for you if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. If you are somebody who has given your life to Jesus, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you trust in Jesus, you would call yourself a follower of Christ, a Christian, then this is for you. And what this is, it's a representation. It's a representation of that very truth that we talked about, about Jesus looking at you and looking at me, and even in our sin and rebellion, loving us so much that he was willing to give his body broken on the cross for us. And so we're going to take this together. And so what I want you to do, and uh, I'm sorry, sometimes I need the Holy Spirit's help to get this thing open. <clears throat> if you just want to peel back this top layer, and in there you're going to find 
bread. And I just want you to take this bread. I'm going to read some scripture, and then, it, and then we'll take this together. And maybe in this time, as you sit there quietly with this bread, maybe there's some things in your life. Maybe there's some attitudes or some, some decisions or some beliefs or just some stuff that maybe it's just keeping Jesus just far enough away. And maybe it's time to, to just get real with him and to say, you know what, Lord, there are some things, and I ask that you would change my heart because I don't have the ability to do so. Right before Jesus was, was crucified, he was having the Last Supper with his disciples. And in Matthew 26, he says this. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take this and eat this. This is my body, which has been broken for you. Let's take this together. And then if you peel back the next later layer, you will find the juice. And this juice is also a representation that we take together as believers in Christ that represents Jesus' blood that was spilled for you and it was spilled for me. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because we did a great job keeping the law, but because of his great love. And so Jesus says this, he says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take this together. Father, I stand, on, I stand before you on behalf of this church, of those here this morning. God, that this would be real to us, that communion would not just be another tradition. God, that it would be real. God, that it would deepen our understanding of the price that you paid to free us, to free us from having to follow the law, to free us from our sin, to free us from ourselves. And God, I pray for all of us that we would take seriously the commitment to abide in you, to seek you daily, to put away whatever it is, God, that keeps you at a distance, and to live as though your word were true, and to take it seriously. God, as we go forth here today, I pray that you would help us to walk in a renewed commitment of freedom, freedom in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for letting me share with you this morning. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.